ReachMD XM157 now presents this month's special series, Exploring Heart Health. Is intravascular MRI the magic bullet for detecting a vulnerable plaque? Welcome to a special segment on Heart Health on the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Dr. Ron Waxman, Clinical Professor of Medicine at Georgetown University and the Associate Director, Division of Cardiology at Washington Hospital Center. Dr. Waxman is also the Director of the Experimental Angioplasty and New Technologies at the Cardiovascular Research Institute. Dr. Waxman, welcome to the show. Nice to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, to me, the topic of intravascular MRI sounds very space age, very cool, very exciting. Can you explain it to the lay doctor? So the purpose of this device is actually to detect how much lipid content we do have in an atherosclerotic plaque. Obviously, we do have all types of plaques in the coronary arteries, and we know that those that contain lipid, they are the most vulnerable meaning that there is an inflammation. We take statin to reduce those uh, lipid content plaques. So no one so far was able to tell us what is the amount of lipid that these plaques contain. And this device, the intravascular MRI, is enabling us to detect the amount of lipid within the plaque. I was under the understanding that intravascular ultrasound would give you a pretty good idea of how much lipid was in the plaque. No, uh, the intravascular ultrasound has some limitation. It's basically a grayscale that cannot differentiate in terms of the plaque morphology. So it tells us sometimes whether you have calcific plaque or non-calcific plaque. But that's to the best that these devices can tell us. They can tell us the degree of stenosis, the length of the lesion, sometimes if it's fibrotic or non-fibrotic, but not to the content of the lipidic content or other morphologies that's related to the content of the plaque. Let's clear it up a little more for the audience who may not be that familiar with what's a good plaque, what's a bad plaque. Is it safe to say that if you have a fibrotic calcified plaque, it is less vulnerable to rupture? That is correct. I think the more calcific the plaque, it's probably more stable because what we are determining as a vulnerable plaque is a plaque that can rupture. Usually those plaques have a thin cap, atheroma, and when that thin cap is breaking at some point, that starts a cascade of events which is resulting at the end with a thrombus or a clot that would occlude the entire vessel. So obviously the more resilient the vessel is, the more fibrotic, the more calcific, you would think, I believe, that this kind of an event will not occur. Now, if you're a cardiologist out in, let's say, a small city and you're doing angiograms and you're seeing a 70% stenotic lesion, right now you're going to most likely want to stent it and you can't tell so much if it's calcified or not or vulnerable. Yeah, so these lesions, we are less concerned about them because we're going to stent them anyway if there are 70% and more. And usually we found out that those lesions are more, there already has been ruptured, there already is some process that has been occurring within these blocks and they're causing some hemodynamic compromise and that's why the patient's experiencing angina. But the one that we really worried about are those that are less than 50% stenotic or 50 to 70 These are not necessarily plaques that are causing at the moment any trouble, but potentially these are the ones that we have seen that 
causing the late MI, and that's where they are defined as vulnerable plaques. Mm -hmm. Now, if you do an angiogram, you'll see a lot of plaques like that, and then you cannot tell like which one is really vulnerable, which one is more at risk to rupture. Then this was evolved a whole cascade of intravascular imaging technologies that they are looking at things beyond ultrasound, which means what features of vulnerability on those plaques they can detect. And among them is the lipid content. The other devices looking on thing aroma, most of them are actually right now focusing on the lipid content because what is the lipid content tells us? It tells us that there is inflammation going on. You have an LDL there. You have accumulation of a lipid. So this is a very active process that's ongoing within the plaque. And that makes it more vulnerable. So almost like a smoldering volcano, and you don't really know when it's going to erupt. That's exactly the definition. It's a volcano that once it's erupted, it's probably too late. So you want to find out who are at risk and what can you do to fix it. Right. And like most volcanoes, you cannot see what's underneath the ground just from an angiogram. Correct. The angiogram is very limited in terms of any morphology and of the plaque itself. I'd like you to go out on a limb and offend some cardiologist. You know, when someone comes back and they say, I had a normal angiogram, how many of those people really have normal coronary arteries? I mean, the question is, how do you define normal? Normal means that you really have no atheroma whatsoever, and this is very rare. And most of us have some atheromas. Now, the patients who are at higher risk are patients that already have some evidence that they were having in the past or in the present a rupture plaque. Suppose someone comes with acute coronary syndrome and he does have a plaque that has been ruptured. But what we found out, and this has been published, that those patients usually have more than one vulnerable plaque already. They have multiple vulnerable plaques, sometimes up to five and seven. And these were diagnosed at that time by intravascular ultrasound just by features like evidence of erosion or evidence of a rupture plaque in a different vessel that was not associated with high-grade stenosis. So for patients who are already experienced acute coronary syndrome, they are at higher risk. They have additional plaques that are potentially vulnerable. For patients who had never had any experience with coronary syndrome, but they do have plaques, I think it would be wise to look at some of those plaques and to see, are these plaques indeed quiet? They are in quiescent stage, or they are actually more vulnerable than we tend to believe. And one other thing just to mention in that regard, we have seen in the past that most of the patients that develop acute myocardial infarction and had a prior angiogram prior to the event of the heart attack, those plaques that turn to cause the heart attack, they are, seems to be the most benign, non-vulnerable by angiogram. So that's actually prompted this whole interest to see right. how can we detect those vulnerable plaques. If you've just joined us, you're listening to a special segment on heart health. My guest today is Dr. Ron Waxman. He is the director of the Experimental Angioplasty and New Technologies at the Cardiovascular Research Institute. And we're talking about intravascular MRI and its ability to detect vulnerable plaque. Dr. Waxman, as you said, it's these 30%, 40% lesions that are the vulnerable ones. And, you know, we're not doing routine intravascular MRI currently. 
Do you believe in any of the current biomarkers like LP plaque as a way of saying that there's some active inflammation going on? So it's not so much a question of belief. I think that there is a quest to look what is the best predictor, whether it's a biomarker or any of the imaging technologies that at the moment IVMRI is not even approved in the U.S. or OCT or other lipid detectors. None of those are approved, so we do left with biomarkers, but they are not so specific. I mean, this is basically more systemic. At the most, it can tell you that you do have a systemic and ongoing inflammation, but it doesn't give you specifically information on a specific plaque because as you take an angiogram of those patients, you may find multiple areas that it's less than 50% stenosis, and we are lacking an ability without detecting specifically locally on potential vulnerability of plaques. So since we're not able to identify those vulnerable plaques, and if we assume that somebody has numerous vulnerable plaques, what can I do as a internist to stabilize that vulnerable plaque without putting a stent in every artery of the heart? So you're touching on a very sensitive topic for all those who are yes, in I favor am. of detecting those vulnerable plaques because there are two camps here. It's almost like in politics. You have those who really think, why bother? I mean, why don't you treat systemically the patient with good uh, statin medication and just passivate by medically all the potential plaques rather than to presume... Because it doesn't pay as well as sticking a stent everywhere. That's for sure. And so sticking stents, no one claims that you should do it for every plaque, but that's why we wanted to use those devices that say, aha, this is a very nasty plaque we should passivate it with a stent. I mean, everyone feels good when you do that. The doctor feels good, the patient feels good, but there's been no effect on mortality. That is correct. And not only that, that at the moment, I mean, where the field is, that although we do have all these array of diagnostic tools, we don't have a single study that shows that intervening on those plaques mechanically can alter any natural history of the disease. So my question is, I know you're more interventionally oriented, but I don't know how to do that. So I have to do it pharmacologically. And so besides statins, besides aspirin, besides fish oil, besides an ACE or an ARB, what else can I actually stabilize a vulnerable plaque with? Is there such a thing? Currently, there is none. And I think that the internist that take home message is that this is all right now a futuristic approach that may prevail or may not. That depends on natural histories. We want to know what can we do now. I think high risk management and taking care of the risk factors and including the treatment with all the good agents that you mentioned that actually showed already reduction in events. This is the best thing that we can do for our patients. But having said that, let me just entertain again another possibility just to think about uh, where can we stretch our imagination of a potential treatment in the future. We know, for example, that the fatal myocardial infarction usually occurring in the proximal segment of the major vessels. So if you have anterior wall myocardial infarction, that's usually that is associated with a fatal outcome or high morbidity. Usually, this is always in the proximal 30 millimeter of the vessel. And that's true for the LAD, for the right coronary, for the circumflex. So potentially, you can argue that if you want to prevent 
myocardial infarction in high-risk populations or patients that are at high-risk category, you can think about uh, using, let's say, drug-loading stents if you wouldn't worry about stent thrombosis and just stent the first 30 millimeter of each of the major vessels. And then the patients most likely would not have an event of a rupture plaque within those segments because those segments would be passivated by the treatment. And that would potentially will protect them, kind of immunizing the vessels from and a potential future of myocardial infarction. Dr. Ron Waxman, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to a special segment on heart health on the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. And thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this month's special series, Exploring Heart Health, on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals.